Podcasts are pretty common. So what makes the Uncommon Podcast uncommon? Well, it's all in our name. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and we at Uncommon Sports Group understand the unique pressures and temptations that come with a career in the sport industry. We provide uncommon training that helps you successfully navigate common challenges. Hit the follow button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website and become uncommon. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Weitz, and I'm excited to welcome Pastor David K. Wood on the show today to talk about an important topic that many young Christians grapple with, and that is what is important to look for in a spouse. For those of you that don't know David already, he is the Senior Associate Pastor at Eastside Community Church in Jacksonville, Florida, a blog writer on his page titled Gospel Relevance, and has had a few blogs featured on the Gospel Coalition webpage. David, it's a pleasure having you on our show today. I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks for having me on the show, Noah. Absolutely, brother. And David, before we dive into the nitty-gritty of what young Christians should be looking for in a spouse, I would love to start by hearing from you really what the biblical purpose of marriage is. We know that the biblical purpose of everything is the glory of God. So that would be the overarching theme to emphasize is that humans exist for the glory of God, and that is absolutely true in marriage as well. Mm. With respect to being more specific, uh, Christopher Ash has a essay on the purpose of marriage that I, I think is really helpful, and he says, quote, The biblical view of marriage is of a God-given, voluntary, mm. sexual, and public social union mm. of one man and one woman, from different families for the purpose of serving God. Mm. So that would be a sort of an intellectual or an academic quick sentence that would highlight it. Yeah. And when we look at other aspects in Scripture about what the purpose of marriage is, we know that it, sex is on the list. We know companionship. We know that uh, childbearing, if the Lord, if the Lord allows, mm. and being together as one, serving God in the world for the glory of God. The husband is supposed to lead, love, serve, sacrificially, lay down his wife, uh, lay down his life for his wife, and the the wife is supposed to submit, submit in humility. And mm. really, it's a it's a foretaste of the gospel of Jesus Christ yeah. and a foretaste of heaven. Mm. So when when there's intimacy, when there's unity, when there's oneness, we we experience a part of God that we wouldn't experience had we not be married. And so it's a foretaste of the kingdom of God in many ways. Absolutely, David. I, I love how you put that, a foretaste of, of the kingdom of God, a foretaste of heaven. I think we oftentimes view marriage so culturally. Um, I think we see that in young people. Uh, it can just be something we just do because everybody else does it um, and not really think about the deeper meaning behind why we get married, why we get into relationships. Um, and it truly is kind of, as you said, not just a foretaste of heaven, but really a taste of the glory of God um, for the purpose of His glory. Um, and David, really one thing I think as well, you know, speaking on the reality of young people and relationships and marriage is we often oversimplify it. Um, it could be something where we think, oh, you know, all they have to be is, is attractive and a Christian, right? And we kind of just get these 
check boxes that we look for. Um, and you kind of mentioned in a blog you wrote on this topic um, that you kind of had those similar ideals of, of over, oversimplifying uh, marriage advice and really what to look for in a marriage. Uh, so kind of talk about what that advice was and why you believe it was too simple. When I was single, I was a part of a outstanding church in the city of a particular uh, Midwestern city, and there were quite a number of single people there. Mm. And just through my own experience and reading books about the subject and talking to other people, I, I noticed that there was this sort of hyper-spiritualization when it came to dating. Mm. And people would be Christians. We can we can kind of get weird on certain subjects, and dating is one of them. Yeah. And so as, as a result of trying to compensate for that, I probably swung the pendulum too far in the other direction. Mm. So I kind of came up with this advice of being oversimplified and thinking, look, Guys, stop stop overthinking this. If the person is a Christian and you're attracted to them, then go for it. Right? And and so it, that that seems helpful and in some sense some people need to hear a, a liberating message. Mm-hmm. But through my years of marriage, looking at other marriages and being in pastoral ministry, I came to see that that advice was an oversimplification and there's probably more character traits that you'd want to look for before saying I do. And mm-hmm. saying that you don't want to swing the pendulum too far in the other direction right. and come up with a list of 97 characteristics that Mr. He or Mr. She needs to have mm. because why would that person want to marry you? Yeah. So you want you want to have a sober self-assessment and you want to you don't want to you don't want to have zero standards for who you marry, mm. but you also don't want to overdo it and have a 10-page paper of all the things you want. So we need we need to find a balance here. And that was what the article was about when I mentioned the four traits to look for in a spouse. Yeah, absolutely, David. I think, too, really, you kind of talked about that pendulum aspect. And, and I, I really do agree with you that oftentimes it, it can be swung to the, the side of uh, too many uh, things that, that we're looking for, right? And, you know, he said 97 things, right? There's so many checkboxes that, that we look for. Um, and so I think it's helpful that you did compile those four traits um, that are really important to look for in a spouse. And I'd love to really dive into the first one that um, you wrote down. Um, and that is someone who looks to the future and not the past. And this is so common, right? You get into a relationship with somebody and they open up to you about maybe their sexual past. Maybe they were um, used to be addicted to alcohol or some drug, right? Maybe they were um, maybe an atheist at one point in their life, right? There was something in their past that wasn't um, similar to yours or different from your story or something that causes pain. Um, and so talk to us through the meaning of this trait and why it's so important to look for someone that has this trait. One of my friends is a pastor, and he's a terrific pastor. But as I got to know him, I learned more about his past. Mm-hmm. And he's from California. He's actually from Los Angeles. And I discovered that he was a part of a gang. And in this gang, he robbed people, assaulted people. He inflicted injustice. And he did that for many years, and then he encountered the Lord Jesus, and his life was totally changed. And we end up going to seminary together, and he ended up becoming a pastor. And now he's a grandpa, and he's a terrific, terrific guy. Wow! So he's an ex- he's an example of just because you have a past doesn't mean you can't have a future. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people listening to this, we, we didn't grow up in Christian homes and we grew up maybe in the hood or we grew up in a poverty stricken area. Mm-hmm. 
our dad wasn't around. We didn't have a mentor. If you have those circumstances and you're coming up, man, apart from the supernatural grace of God rescuing you at a young age, it's likely that you're going to dive into some drugs or alcohol or mm. sexual relations before marriage. Yeah. And so a lot of times athletes, some of the best athletes that I know come from these difficult areas. Yeah. And so when it comes to living in the 21st century, if you look at the statistics, more and more people are prolonging marriage. Mm. So the average woman gets married at age 27, average guy gets married at 29, something like that. It probably changes. Mm -hmm. But those numbers, the, the numbers were lower just 10 or 15 years ago, significantly lower yeah. in the 20th century. So if you're prolonging marriage, uh, you're probably going to add more and more baggage once you get to that marriage. And so mm -hmm. specifically, I did have in mind a sexual history. Yeah. And so I, I do think if you if you get married at age 30 or 35, um, if, if the Lord allows, if it's that, that's God's plan for your life, you know, it's it, it, you might marry someone who has a child mm. or you might marry someone who has a sexual past. Mm -hmm. In that case, what I want to emphasize is that where the person is going is more important than where they've been. Amen. Just because they have a past, don't write them off as a marriage, uh, potential marriage spouse. You know, those, uh, the story, you can think of the story in Luke chapter 7, when the sinful woman demonstrated her faith in Jesus by kissing him and anointing his feet after weeping in his presence. And the Pharisees questioned the knowledge of this woman and, you know, her past, and, and Jesus chose to forgive her. Um, and, and she loved much. And oftentimes those who mm. have sinned much love much and they can be mm. the best spouses. So yeah. don't focus on their past. Focus on where are they going? Are they are they active members in the local church? Do they have vibrant Bible reading and prayer times? Do they love lost people? Do they have godly ambition and want to make much of their lives? Do they care about productivity and not just sitting around hanging out? Don't look at the past too much. Look at where they're going. Mm. Yeah, David, that, that's that's wise words, um, absolutely. And I think it is. I love what you even said, you know, bringing up that Luke chapter seven uh, scripture. Uh, I was even thinking about it as you were talking, so I thought it was perfect timing. Um, but just the reality of that, right? That those who sin much love much. Um, and I think, obviously, we all sin much, and so I think part of it's just our mindset, right? But those who recognize that they have sinned much, and are coming to Jesus for that grace. Are going to live a life that is that is godly because they recognize the grace they've been given. Um, so oftentimes a a past that is littered with sin um, and, and littered with a lot of different challenges and decisions that that maybe didn't honor God um, is often someone who who has come to Christ and, and truly loves Him uh, in in a way that maybe the lifelong Christian doesn't. Right? Not not to say that's always the case, but that is usually the case, kind of as you brought up. So I think it is a really important aspect of finding a spouse. You're going to come across somebody. We're all imperfect, broken people. They're going to have some sort of baggage um, that really makes it difficult. One thing I was thinking about as you were talking is, is sometimes the baggage can even be family history, right? They have mm. divorced uh, parents. You might think, oh, wow, well, if their parents are divorced. They're likely going to try to divorce me or something of that nature. Um, and I think kind of the same point, right? Don't look at their family's past as reason to discredit them as well. I think really be just kind of to the things you brought up, be aware of who they are, the person they are, where they're going in the relationship with God and really um, understand and, and really appreciate those things far more than 
um, the baggage or family history baggage. So great points there for sure, David. And David, the, the second trait you brought up, uh, I think is really important. Um, and it's really, it's self-control. Yeah, look for somebody who has the ability to practice um, self-control. And I would love to hear just talk about why this is such an important trait to look for in a spouse. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul outlines nine fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Mm. So I could have picked either one, I suppose, but I, I have this growing theory in my head that Holy Spirit-empowered, grace-driven effort received self-control is a, is a big sign of Christian character. Yeah. And when you're marrying someone, you want to look for a character. Mm. And when I say self-control, I'm not, I'm not saying perfect self-control. We all eat too many you're too many scoops of ice cream we eat too much food here and there we watch too much netflix none of us are perfect in this right. area but if some if you notice someone who has no self-control across the spectrum of of uh, many many areas in life that should strike you as a red flag mm. and i'm saying that now not to crush your dreams but to spare you from hurt in the future yeah and when you're dating someone that other person is on their best behavior. Right. So 100%. yellow flags and dating become red flags in marriage. Mm. It's really easy to put on a front for the first two, three, four, five dates. Yeah. But who you are eventually is exposed. And in marriage, there's there, you know, they say the gloves come off. <laughs> and and there there really is no hiding who you are. When you're that close to someone all the time, your true character comes out. Mm. So a lot of times people uh, are so lonely, and I totally get that loneliness is very difficult, but that's why we have the local church that we can get plugged into and other single people to, to connect with. And the desire to have this ring on our finger and to have kids and be with someone is so great that we might tend to overlook a glaring red flag uh, flaw in someone else that all of our friends can see. Our pastor can see that something you shouldn't marry this guy. Other people are saying the same thing, but we don't see it because this idol of marriage has taken such deep root in our hearts. Mm. And yeah. so the, the idea there is, uh, I think I think Matt Chandler once said, it's better to be single and lonely than married and miserable. Mm. Amen. It's better to be single and lonely than married and miserable. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of these things about singleness, dating, sex, marriage, that you really can't learn or don't learn until you are married. Yeah. And so someone who's in the thick of it, I would say, Spare yourself now from future pain. Mm. Mary, make sure that character is at the top of your list, particularly self-control. Yeah. And so this would include unrighteous anger, pornography use, mm. even eating, that kind of thing, credit card use. Yeah. It does this person uh, d- demonstrate godliness of self-control in their life. Mm. That's something that you want to look for. Yeah. David, I, I really can't agree more. Um, I think self-control is obviously, like you said, a fruit of the Spirit, but it really is something that can lead to a lot of hurt and pain. Um, and if someone doesn't have the ability to handle that, not perfectly, right? Nobody's perfect in self-control, like you mentioned, right? There are those moments where we fall victim to that. Um, but the, the two big ones you mentioned that I really want to highlight, um, you mentioned pornography and unrighteous anger. Um, I would love to hear kind of a follow-up question here. What, why are these two areas so vital uh, in terms of looking for a spouse? 
Well, when you're writing an article, there, you only have so much space to include, and there's an editor and an editing process that goes right. through the whole the whole scene. But I could have included more. The pornography use and unrighteous anger came to my mind because these are two areas in which I think tremendous damage can be done. Yeah. So I would say it like this. If the prospective person that you're interested in marrying is addicted to pornography, I would encourage you to not marry them. Mm-hmm. At least for now, put it on hold. Mm. That that person needs to know they are loved by God. Yeah. And God wants to sanctify him or her. And God wants to bring that person into a new season of life where they're free from this bondage. Mm. But this pornography use that's widespread, particularly among men, is detrimental in the life of a marriage. So that that is one example of uh, a lack of self-control. Obviously, I I do think there's validity in saying that person experienced trauma. Mm. There's something going on in the brain. They've had these experiences in life with not having a mom or not having attention that has affected them, and that's why we want to be gracious. Yeah, but that person needs to be more in counseling, growing in character, growing in holiness. Mm. Uh, you don't want someone looking at um, that online and then trying to marry them. That that would be very detrimental. And the other area is unrighteous anger, yeah. because anger is not always a sin. Right. Anger actually can be a good thing. That's why Paul says, "Be uh, be angry." And do not sin in Ephesians. And the Lord is slow to anger, not that he never has anger. And there's a a good kind of anger that we can have. Mm. If you see racism, for example, we should feel angry at racism because that's not right. That is a violation against the Imago Dei because every man and woman are created in the image of God. And we should treat them with value, dignity, and respect. Or if you – injustices or guys on the football team being picked on – or guys on the baseball team who are, uh, you know, there's some things in the locker room that are going on that are uh, unethical. You as a Christian should jump in and do something about that and not just yeah, watch it. Totally. Right. There's, there's, there's good anger that we could have, but unrighteous anger goes to the level of yelling and mm. abuse and emotional abuse. And just my years in ministry and seeing other people, I, I know that that also can do a lot of damage in the context of marriage. Yeah. It's not it's not just restricted to unrighteous anger or pornography. We could also talk about financial, you know, uh, finances and other areas of life. Again, nobody is perfect, hmm. but if you if you want to spare yourself pain now, you yourself should try to grow in self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit yeah. and you want to find someone who desires to be growing in self-control as well. Hmm. They don't need to be perfect, but you do need to see evidences of grace in their life in this area. Yeah. David, 100%. I love how you kind of close there, even mentioning looking at our, ourselves for these traits, right? And even um, understanding the importance of them, right? And, and it's not a checkbox either. I think that's one thing too, right? It's not um, the reason we're looking for these things. It's not so someone fits a mold, um, but it's because it's, it's how we're going to be able, going back to the first question, glorify God through a marriage. Um, these things are a part of that, right, of having a healthy, God-honoring marriage. Um, and I think the two areas are really vital. Um, I think that those are two of the most important. Obviously, like you mentioned, there's tons we could look at. Um, but in, in our present culture, in the 21st century, and especially in this generation, pornography is a rampant, um, I'd say pandemic. I mean, really. Um, it's it's really a, it's so sad to see um, how many young people battle with this, um, young men especially, obviously young women too, but and more often is seen in young men. Um, and so 
I think even just from a dating perspective, this is something to talk about, uh, have conversations about to understand where the person has been in this area and where they're at. Um, and I'd say too, as well, the unrighteous anger portion, it, it, this is so key. Um, man, I think self-control in this area is uh, so important, even in simple things like driving and being at a restaurant or handling small adversities, like having the wrong food brought out um, or, or losing in a golf match, something, you know, these simple things, right? How does a person react when things don't go their way? So I think they're, they're great points, David, and I think things for us to look for um, as we pursue a, a holy marriage um, in Christ. Yeah, no, and I'll, I'll add to that and say, yeah, you know, you really, at some point, if you're, if you're thinking about marrying someone before it gets too intense, you know, you, you, you should not be afraid to ask questions. Mm. Yeah. I, I know my view is going to be a little bit different than others on this, but when, if, if someone has a sexual history, I don't think you need to go in detail onto every single thing that ever happened. That, my, that's my view. I know some people see it differently, mm-hmm. but I do think there needs to be an understanding. Yes. I've, I've had a, I've had a boyfriend before. I've had a girlfriend before. I've, I didn't save myself from marriage. This happened. It's sort of a general mm. and then not, not really being as specific as possible with every little instance. Cause not, not everyone can handle that, that much information. Right. So you want to be mm. general there, I think. Yeah. But don't, don't be afraid to ask your boyfriend, Hey, I, listen, holiness is important to me. I really want to have a Christ honoring marriage. I want to ask you, uh, listen, there's no shame here, but do you struggle with pornography? Mm. What are you doing behind that iPhone? What do you do behind that laptop? Yeah. As you get closer and closer to marriage, or as you start dating someone that you really like, you cannot be afraid to ask these questions and put that person on the spot. Uh, that, that goes in financial debt and other things as well. You need to know these things before you go into a lifelong covenant marriage with someone. I mean, that's mm. what you're signing up for. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask the hard question. It'll save you pain later. Or you can learn about the person's struggle and you can start to put steps into place to see them get healed so mm. that they can become a better marriage partner for you. Yeah. Hundred percent, David. I, I love how you put that right of not being afraid to ask tough questions, right? I mean, we have to do that. Um, and I think too, right, to your point as well, of have grace, lead with grace, um, understand there's no shame, right? But just having a knowledge of where that person is at can make a lot of difference. Um, and even being a part of their healing process can be something mm. that, that really honors God, right? Caring more about their sanctification, their relationship with God than just a marriage. And because you want it, because you desire it, um, really putting that person first and saying, hey, right now, marriage is second priority to your sanctification and growth in Christ. That's number one. Let's focus on that. Um, so to your point, that can be a, a tremendous way to honor God through that. Love it. And David, really, the, I love that this, this third trait you have, I think, is you know, one of the more important um, traits that you came up with in this blog. Um, but it's looking for a spouse who walks with God. Talk about the importance of this trait and then some of the characteristics of a person who is walking with God. Online dating is a viable way to meet someone. Mm-hmm. I know people that I've met online. And in the bio, the person might say, I love Jesus, I go to church. And those are great starters. But you want to see evidences of sanctification in their life. You want mm-hmm. to find someone who really walks with God. Here's another reason why I would say that, right? So it's pretty clear from Scripture in 1 Corinthians that you should not marry an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. So if the person you're thinking about marrying is not a Christian and you are a Christian, you shouldn't marry them. Mm -hmm. 
But from there, we want you have to marry with mutual faith in mind. You both should be Christians. Yeah. But from there, you want to find someone who really walks with God. And the, here, here's why I say that, and this is the only, this is the reason why I say this, and and this is something I learned only from being married, which is this: your spouse, for good or ill, will help your faith rise or fall. Mm-hmm. Your spouse rubs on you so much in marriage that it affects everything, even even how you eat. Right. So if you're an athlete and you like to eat egg whites and oatmeal and get up at 5 a.m. and run four miles and drink a protein shake and watch morning routines on YouTube and go squat and bench press and then eat keto and never, I mean, if you're that kind of person, which a lot of athletes are, which is great and you're going to feel really good and you take testosterone stuff and fat burners and protein and creatine. And if you marry someone who's not into fitness at all, that person is going to, it's going to rub on you and there's going to be, there Mm. might be conflict there. Yeah. And that person's like, well, I'm going to eat fried chicken and sleep in and drink Kool-Aid and I'm not working out. I hate working out. <laughs> uh, you you think it'll be easy, but it's not. And that person who eats fried chicken is going to bring you down in your fitness or you, the fitness person, is going to help the person who eats a lot of fried chicken to become more fit. One of the two things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what's not going to happen. You're not going to remain the same. Yeah. And, and so this, this, the case is true with walking with Jesus. Mm. Your spouse, if you get married, is the most influential person in your life. Yeah. And if they walk with God, it will help you to walk with God more closely. So characteristics would be, first and foremost, uh, I think, not maybe, maybe I, we don't have to put these in, in list and make it a cookie-cutter list, but mm-hmm. active involvement in the local church. I'm a big local church guy. Yeah. I think church membership is required and biblical. Serving, yeah. giving, loving, participating. The church is messy. It's not perfect. There are errors. But God's plan A is the church, and there is no plan B. So yeah. you need to be uh, being in church. And then from there, it's the practice of the spiritual disciplines, mm. private Bible reading. I find using a Bible reading plan to be very helpful. Private prayer, yeah. fasting. Uh, if journaling is your thing, journaling pursuing God through the through the spiritual disciplines through appropriating the means of grace mm. and wanting to grow in sanctification I, I've seen people go to be an active regular attender in church and then marry someone who is sort of iffy about church and then a few years into the marriage they both stop going to church mm. you, you don't want that to happen to you you, right. you so so you want to find someone who really cares about godliness and holiness. Yes, attraction is is important. Mm. I don't think you should marry someone who you're not attracted to because then intimacy in marriage will be painfully underwhelming. Yeah. So you want to find someone who you think that you're attracted to, but it's not the only thing. You want to mm. find someone who has strong character. Character is king. Yeah. David, it's so well said, um, and I, I love your analogy, right, of the fitness piece of it, right, because that makes so much sense to, to sports people, makes so much sense to me of like, man, that's so true, right? If someone doesn't have that desire, they're going to either bring you down or you're going to try to bring them up, um, and the reality is that as you jump into a marriage with someone, you have to consider that reality, um, and you won't always be on the same page, but you want to find somebody who to your point, right, you know, has those traits where they're, they're obviously walking with God. 
Um, and so I appreciate those those points, David. I think it does provide context to what we should be looking for, the things that are valuable. Um, I would add too. I think it's really important to understand that not everybody is on the same journey with God. And so just because mm. maybe, maybe someone isn't perfectly aligned with you um, in your journey doesn't mean like, oh, well, they'd be a, a bad spouse. Uh, maybe they they desire to get rooted in a local church, but just haven't found a good one. I think that could be a reason to say, you know what, they have this desire. They've expressed that because they haven't really had it in the past. I think I can trust that at some point we'll be on the same path together going to a local church. Um, so it's more so about the heart condition than sometimes it is about the direct action, but the actions do speak a lot about the heart condition as well. So I think it's about striking a balance between grace and then understanding that people are uh, imperfect, but also between um, the fact that you want to see someone who is growing and desires to grow. It's well said, David. And David, the final trait that you said uh, that, that Christians should look for in a spouse is a joyful person. Uh, and I love the simplicity of this, and, and I love the um, just the ability that we can apply this so simply, right, to find someone who is joyful. So share with us, why is this an important trait to look for in a spouse? I was at a wedding with my wife, and it was March 2020, mm-hmm. pro- the, the week before the world shut down before COVID, and it was already a bit scary going out, but yeah. we went out, and we just kind of heard of this new thing called the coronavirus <laughs> And, you know, no one really calls it that anymore. But we were out and I listened to an elder stand up and he spoke uh, to his uh, to his daughter and to the rest of us there about marriage advice. And this is a guy who's assuming married 30 plus years. Mm. And so what would he say about life and marriage? And he said something like this. Don't let the sorrows of life stop you from rejoicing. Mm. You know, in my own personal life, I'm trying to train myself to become more of an optimistic person. Yeah. I don't mean that of like false positive thinking, sending you positive vibes. Mm. But if you're if you're a Christian, all of your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Mm. The righteousness of Christ has been given to you. Yeah. Jesus loves you. He has a place for you in heaven, no matter what your past is like. Mm. You're a child of the the Most High God. Mm. One day we will be in the new creation forever, and there will be no more sorrow, sin, or suffering. Mm. We have been saved from the wrath of God, the mm. penalty of sin. We are raised because of Christ. And so, yes, lament is real. Grief is real. Yeah. There will be tears and hard days. But if you're in Christ, you have millions of reasons to give thanks and be thankful. Mm. And so I don't, I don't want to be the kind of person that just hangs my head every season of life and says, woe is me, and look how hard my life is, and nobody understands. And I don't want to play the victim. Yeah, I don't want to be like that. I want to be a joyful person who expresses sincere thankfulness to God. Mm. And that, that trait that I'm trying to grow in more, I have not perfected it, yeah. that trait is a beautiful trait to possess. Mm. Finding joy in God, being thankful for the little things that God has allowed us to enjoy. That's going to help us get through the difficult sorrows of life. And there are many, many sorrows, but being around a person who's joyful and optimistic uh, will help. Obviously, mental health is real. Mm. Depression is real. Anxiety is real. Some of us are plagued by some serious things in our minds. Mm. Uh, We need to make space for that. And not everyone is wired the same way at all. Mm. And some of us are going through some serious afflictions. And we lost loved ones and we're, struggling and we're trying to start 
and we're not starting or second string. We're frustrated about that and our whole identity is wrapped up in it. We have this pressure and we feel inadequate and we're, we're struggling and that's real. Mm. And we need to take that to God and lament and read the Psalms and process. But even then, Paul mm. says to rejoice always. We can rejoice because of Christ and what Christ has done for us. Mm. David so well said, and I was reflecting as you were as you were talking there. Just back to the the self control piece, right? I think this relates because joy is also a fruit of the spirit. Um, mm. and, and if we're you know, sealed by the spirit, if we're in the spirit, right, as, as we are in Christ, joy should be the, the something that is produced in our lives. To your point, right? Not all the time. There's those moments of, man, you're going through a season, or you lose a loved one, or there's something going on in life. Um, where we do need to lament, right? Where we do need to mourn. But joy is, is a fruit of the Spirit that is so beautiful. Um, and it's almost something that you don't see in our world today with so many things in the news, so many challenges that people are facing, right? It, it always feels like there's there's something else going on in our world and, and in people's lives. Um, but as the Christian, what, what really sets us apart is our joy. Uh, we, we have a joy in Christ that is that is only found in Him, a hope in Christ that is only found in Him. And so all the more in a marriage with a godly man or woman, there should be those moments, uh, not just moments, uh, long periods of time where we're experiencing joy um, with each other and, and with God. Um, so I would agree, David. I think joy is, is an elemental aspect um, to not just a marriage, but to our lives as we walk with Christ, experiencing mm-hmm. the joy of the Spirit. Um, and so I, I love the way you put that. I love the way you included that um, as something to really just look for as a trait in a spouse, right? To, to be a part of a marriage that is full of joy. Very well said. Mm. David, I thought the way you closed your blog on this topic was so interesting and powerful. You stated that everyone will marry the wrong person. Talk about the meaning behind that statement and why it can provide young single Christians with some hope and relief as they pursue a spouse. Several years ago, I saw an article by Tim Keller that was called you never marry the right person. Mm. So I was sort of in a slight way building and borrowing from him and trying to say, okay, look, I just gave you this list of spouse uh, traits to look for in a spouse. Mm -hmm. Now I want to turn it on the other side and say, look, the person you're about to marry is the wrong person because everyone is the wrong person. Mm. So what I was getting at there is the, the doctrine of sin. Yeah. And saying, because of the fall, because of Genesis chapter 3, we're all sinners by nature and by choice. And we are lifelong projects in which we have to grow in sanctification. Yeah. So we, we the, the person is going to be a person who needs Jesus every day. So you're not going to find the perfect person. Only Christ is per- perfect. Mm-hmm. On the other side, so sometimes I, I think I was just listening to the radio the other day. And a lady said something like, there really isn't a, the one for you. If there was a one, yada, 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 and then she gave her reasons. Mm-hmm. And I actually disagree with that. I think I, my my theology is that God is so big, God is so sovereign, mm-hmm. that if he's sort of for your plan for your life, yeah. if he's organized for you to marry, he's going to he's gonna lead you into the person uh, that he has for you, if that's part of his plan. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 the pressure is off. To make it perfect, but we want to be diligent with not having low standards for marriage. So the point there was saying is, is look, every everybody is a sinner. Uh, we need Christ, but in the same sense, have standards for who you marry. Mm. 
David, so well said. Um, I, I actually love, this is probably my favorite part of your blog. I love it because the reality is every single person in this world, no matter how godly that we think they are, no matter how many of these traits that they exemplify, is broken, is sinful, and is in desperate need of God's grace. Uh, and so I think we need to approach a relationship and a marriage in a way where we understand that, where we understand, you know, when this person doesn't have unrighteous anger, they might have their days, right? You know, this mm. person, you know, may, may be joyful most of the time, but they're going to have their days. And so the reality is if we can understand this and go into a relationship and a marriage with this mindset, you're going to set yourself up to be a graceful husband and wife that understands a person's brokenness, that points that person back to God's grace and his mercy towards them and leads in a way where we understand that, hey, we're all broken people. You, you will marry the wrong person, right? And to your point about kind of the hope and relief is, you know, hey, don't look for the perfect person because that person doesn't exist. Trust God's plan to your point of who he's leading you to. If you feel called that a person exemplifies these traits, that you feel that they honor God with their lives and that you want to go, go ahead with the marriage, I say do that, right? You know, be prayerful about it. Um, trust where God is leading you, but recognize that it'll never be perfect because nothing is. Um, so David, so well said. I think this was an awesome way to close the blog. Um, I think it's a great way to, to, to come to a close on this topic on the podcast. Um, and, and I think too, just always processing as human beings, we are all broken. We are all sinful in need, in desperate need of God's mercy and grace. And that includes the person that you marry. And David, lastly, I, I love the transition just to kind of close the episode, um, talking about sports in your days as a chaplain at your undergraduate school. I love, I love how you kind of added this. You had a separate blog on the Gospel Coalition about this. I'd love to hear why do you believe sports can be a powerful platform for the gospel, and what encouragement would you provide our listeners who are desiring to work in the sport industry? When I was in undergraduate school, I served as the co-chaplain of the football team. And my friend Trevor also served with me. And Trevor la labored for years and he saw some fruit. Uh, but then one summer, uh, the, head, the head football coach actually passed away. Mm. And it was dramatic and traumatic for the whole city because this was a small, small town. Mm. And football was huge. It was a powerhouse in its division. And suddenly, because of that death, as God often does, he used that suffering to sort of wake up the town. Hmm. And suddenly, we had very few people showing up to post-practice devotionals and pregame chapels. And then we had 50, 50 guys on the football team staying wow. after practice to hear me give a five to 10 minute devotional hmm. and for my co-laborer as well. And pregame chapels, there was a lot of guys there. We actually baptized a few of them in the pond by the business school. And one of them is in full-time vocational ministry today. Wow. So I've, I've seen tremendous fruit in this area. So what, one of the reasons why this is a good time frame, particularly helpful for evangelism and outreach, is sports brings a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. A lot of pressure in life is self-imposed. We put it on ourselves. But from childhood, we've been told, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're going to go D1. You're going to go to the league. You're going to dominate. You're going to go pro. And then we get to college and we realize that may not help happen. And mm. our whole identity of what we build our whole lives on suddenly starts to crumble. Mm. So we're looking for answers. 
So particularly in the age range of 18 to 30 or maybe even 18 to 25, Mm. your brain statistics show, and it's not a cookie cutter answer, but your brain is not fully developed until you're 25. Mm. So if you're 21, 22, 23, you're stressed out, you're pressured, you thought you were going to start, you're not starting, you tore your ACL, you sprained your ankle, that person is going to feel very open Mm. to a new idea a new yeah. worldview, a new system of thinking. And that's where Christianity can come into play. And that's why those of you who are athletes who are Christians, the opportunities that you have now to share Christ are tremendous. Mm. If you, you're connected, you're around people, uh, athletes are bold. Athletes love it when you just tell them straight up what, what, what it is. You know, Matt Chandler, who I mentioned in the article, I mentioned him earlier, yeah. when one of his one of his teammates said, I'm, I got. I got to tell you about Jesus. When can I do that? <laughs> I mean, you can't really do that in the business world without offending people. You can't do that in a lot of secular vocations without coming off off putting. But when you're an athlete, you can shoot people straight. Yeah. And so I would just say for Christians who are listening to this, who are athletes, don't squander these opportunities to share Christ. Hmm. Pray that God would open doors and walk through them with the gospel message. There are. Even the star player on your team who seems fulfilled and gets a lot of attention, if that person doesn't know Christ deep down, they might be struggling more than you realize. We, mm. uh, one, of the, one of the guys who just dominated as a running back, I mean, tr- I mean probably a 1,000-yard rusher, probably 20 touchdowns. He don't want to go into two more details, but uh, shortly after that, he self-inflicted himself, and I didn't see it coming. He, 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 got, he had tremendous, tremendous success on the football field. Mm. So apart from Christ, there is no path for happiness or fulfillment. And yeah. brothers and sisters, use this time and opportunities to spread the gospel and allow God to use you and shape you in planting seeds for the next yeah. generation of believers. Yeah, David. Uh, it's, it's so well said and so true about the industry of, of sports as a whole. It's a unique platform uh, where you have access to a community, a team, uh, a coaching staff, athletes right people that you're that you're around consistently it's almost a family environment which is so counter to what we see um in the business world and really in other industries that are um and that that are so common uh and it's a great platform Uh, and so to your point david i think just using that platform using uh the the sports as well is so looked at from the outside right there's there's fans there's spectators there's guys on twitter who are you know, obviously so involved with their opinions and, and whatnot. So sports is a platform <laughs> um, where we can share the truth and, and where we can truly be lights for Christ, even just in our actions. So I do appreciate you shedding light on, on that aspect as well. Absolutely. David, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show today and really hearing your insights on, on what to look for in a spouse, on the sports industry, um, and just being able to, to have this conversation with you. And we are praying for you as you continue to serve the Lord at Eastside Church and beyond. Thank you so much, Noah. It was an absolute delight to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Of course, brother. If you want to get involved with Uncommon Sports Group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our academy on our website at uncommonsg.org. That's uncommonsg.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every Thursday at midnight Eastern Time, as well as the full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next week.